Good evening, and welcome to another edition of LifeCast. I am your faithful and unrelenting host, Patrick Hicks. I've got Mr. Xander Ragnoff across the table from me. Good evening, good evening. And tonight's a special night. We've got a young writer with us, Miss Lauren Fletcher, is in the building as well. Hey! And yes, she is so excited. I can tell by that introduction, she was just so happy to be here. Clearly she doesn't know the madness we dragged her into. Yes, she is not ready. I guess I'm about to find out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she will. Um, so just stay tuned, and uh, this is going to be a really good episode. So, yeah, dig it. I just wanted to say, how does it feel to graduate college? You just graduated not too long I ago. I did. I graduated from Gardner-Webb University, a mm. creative writing major, actually. Gnarly. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. It's mm. I'm just, I'm ready to be done. Ready to get out into the world and do awesome stuff. So. Right on. <laughs> so you got your degree in creative writing. Did you do any, like... Uh, minor work or anything or I did my minor was religious studies nice gnarly gnarly. and Gardner (laughs) Webb uh, for those you don't know where exactly is that is that it's in a very very small town called Boiling Springs Boiling Springs North Carolina yeah not far from the border no about 10 minutes from uh, South Carolina and it's super super tiny the college is pretty much the town (laughs) Well, there you go. So, College town. Right. Defined. Exactly. Right on. Um, so, I've known you for a while. Uh, Xander, this is actually Xander's first uh, encounter. I've, I'm kind of cheating because I already know a lot of the <laughs> background here, I think. Cheaters never win, Patrick. Well, <laughs> that may be so, but it's my podcast, and I'll win yeah. if I want to. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um Graduating with a degree in creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you are you getting ready to do some book work, or are you going to write for a magazine? What are you looking to do with your degree? Um, I've actually tried out a bunch of different options, or, or I'm playing with the idea of a bunch of different things. Um, I'd really like to write for Relevant Magazine. That's something that I have in mind because I, I like how they discuss real issues yeah. um, relating to Christian faith. Um, and, they're, and they're not afraid to ask questions that a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's really interesting, like just being kind of provocative um, with the writing and just kind of pushing. Putting it out there. Not, right, yeah, right. Not um, having to have a filter up. 
Right, exactly. Um, and so that's definitely an option I'm considering. Also, I've been working a little bit on a novel. Um, ah. Yeah, it's actually going to be sort of a memoir in very um, Donald Miller-esque fashion. Okay. Kind of just talking about my life so far. Um and more specifically, my life growing up without my dad and how God played into that. Okay. And it's just in the beginning processes now. I'm just, I'm starting to write. So I can't get this for like, Christmas this year. <laughs> no. no? Okay. This, this might be a couple of years down the road through all, right. all the editing and all that wait. good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So. Cool deal. Well, Xander, since you truly are the newcomer to the world of Lauren, I'll have you ask her some questions because... <laughs> All right. Um, well, I guess the first thing I really want to know is uh, what kind of uh, got you started on the, the whole writing thing? Like, I guess what was your, your big inspiration that told you, uh, this is what I want to do, you know, as far as my, my career and my path in life? Um, well, actually, I've been writing ever since I was a child. I would write these silly little poems or songs. Um, so it's always kind of been a part of me. Um, and I have journals from way back as far as like elementary school. And so I guess I never, I didn't really realize um, that I had a talent or a desire to write until I was in high school. Actually, my senior year, um, when I took creative writing with Patrick, yes, actually. indeed. <laughs> I was there for this part of history. Right. And um, there was this moment, it's kind of cool, actually. Uh, I was also taking a dual enrollment course in English my 12th mm. grade year. And my very first paper, I got a D on, and basically... If you got an F, like, you didn't do the paper. So D is literally <laughs> the lowest you could have gotten, and I got a D, and I was like, uh, wait a minute. I thought I was a good writer. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on here. And so I brought my paper to my teacher, and I was like, uh, hello. And he said, okay, let me point out all that's going on here. And I was like, I mean, can I, can I edit it? Can I turn it back in for another grade? And he said, No. <laughs> wow and um, strong start so far yeah <laughs> i know my confidence is totally shot but i know <laughs> but i i like a good challenge i was like well can i do it anyway and and he i think he was pretty surprised by that so that's when i realized i actually like had the desire to write and yeah. to, even even if i didn't get credit for it in school i wanted i wanted to achieve that i wanted yeah. to do better and then right. And then I guess that passion really started in creative writing where I got to just explore different mediums, fiction, nonfiction, poetry. Yeah, that was a great class. Um, mm -hmm. Mr. Mooney, our teacher, was just... Mr. Mooney. Beyond. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. You guys, uh, See, there's a common trait now. Yeah, Mr. Mooney. Uh, Manchester. That's, oh, yeah. That's right. Mr. Um, Mooney had a singular just... I haven't caught it with any other uh, professor or teacher. Mm -hmm. Just a love... For what he did, and this is true. Right, this is true. And he was articulate with it too. He he could. Some teachers have that you know that ability to teach. Some of them have the ability to inspire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, good word choice. <laughs> good to have an author with us to get the words out. Um, yeah, I definitely felt that too during that year of his class. I just felt like. He could articulate what was going on as far as, you know, the different forms of writing, um, how to improve your writing, mm -hmm. you know, showing us, it's a bug, um, <laughs> showing us examples of profound writers, 
Um, <laughs> and uh, I just had a blast that year. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, but yeah, so when would you say you found your style? Would you say it was during that pivotal year? It was pivotal for me of creative writing with Mr. Mooney, or was that when you got into college? Or I think it started um, in that class. Um, I mean, definitely, like, the bare essence of my work. Um, there, I realized it's so funny, like, looking back, um, on my work from 12th grade, I was like, gosh, this is terrible. <laughs> and, like, even attempting to edit it, I was like, I can't get beyond the terrible, but really? I know there's some sort of... Underlying... Like, like some meaning <laughs> there's here. There's some substance behind it. There's yeah. something here, but, um, no, it was just bad. But, uh. like, just... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> no, I, See, just, I was I there. <laughs> See, I was there. I was, I mean, granted, I was a little younger, but I mean, I was there when you were doing that, right? And I thought that stuff was great. <laughs> so I can just imagine how it's just gone, like, skyrocketing. Okay, um, but I think, so there there was the substance there, I guess, of my of my style, but more so it got cultivated in college and and again like a part of like maturing and growing up in college yeah definitely kind of finding out who you are um that helps you know and and definitely being in those writing classes and having that kind of direction and guidance like it's it's really essential right on Mm -hmm. i've got i've got another question um actually (laughs) i throughout you know knowing you um I definitely see it as apparent in your work, um, in some pieces more than others, but how big of a role has your faith been in your writing? You know, have you felt like it's really kind of inspired you or, um, you know, where does it stand within your writing? Well, as for writing, I really feel like it's a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, I journal constantly. I mean, I really figure things out in my writing, uh, figure things out in life. And it's almost to the point where if I don't write, I can feel it weighing on me. Actually, my friend Nikki Ray Rice calls it um, emotional constipation. Um, <laughs> good term. Good term. <laughs> and anyone who's a writer. Very well. Yeah, and I, I really think writers can really relate to that um, feeling. Maybe not in the, those words. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, no, actually, it's. That terminology shared. I guess writer's workshop would be the yeah. the uh, writer's Malax or uh, yeah. uh, Pepto. <laughs> kind of help the creative juices yeah. flow. But, All right, we're going to delve from that. But, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, yeah, writing writing's really been a part of my just life process so much. And God is just intrinsically a part of that as well. He's a part of... Um, my life, my relationship with him. So it's, it's kind of all like intersected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know how, like, I mean, it's definitely inspired me and influenced my writing, but, um, but at the same time, like both things are so much a part of me. Cool. It's not like any one thing, yeah. I guess. So. Okay. Um, you know, I do actually want to pose a question, I guess, in regards to faith. Um, and uh, in your work. Um, however, I feel like with a, the question that I want to ask 
um, is just going. It has a potential to really drag on as far as the answer goes. Um, it's okay. Drag on. All right. Drag I'm on. Just, you like know, a drag wanna... queen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you are uh, you're a Christian, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, any particular denomination of Christianity in particular, or like a uh, Baptist, Presbyterian? Um, I grew up Baptist. Okay. I've went my actually my college was also Baptist. It was just kind of the, the tradition I was brought up in. Um, I don't really ascribe to any denomination. Um, I've I've attended uh, Assembly of God churches, um, and also um, a church that I attended in college was called Broad River Community Church. Actually, no affiliation at all, and I actually prefer that because I think a lot of times people can get so caught up in their denominations and segregate each other more so I think it's so much more in faith like about the body of Christ as one and it shouldn't necessarily be segregated like that so I'm glad you brought that up because um that was yeah I mean it's actually something I personally agree with myself that, that where I was going with that was um I guess for me growing up, um, I always had a choice of, um, you know, what I was, you know, told to quote unquote believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of my family is primarily Catholic and they really, you know, try to drive that home with me. But, um, like you, I do believe that it really shouldn't be segregated because the message is the same across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in my studies, cause, um, I did study a little bit of, um, theology in college as well um and just various religious studies especially eastern cultures as well kind of going back to the roots um but i wanted to know um i guess was there ever a point in your life where um not so much you questioned your faith but where you wanted to expand on it and wanted to really like see what else was out there and if any of your findings in uh such an endeavor had ever led to any kind of revelation or um, development in your writing or yourself as an individual um, and, a, I guess, a spiritual entity? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I necessarily, like, explored other religions, per se. Um, growing up, again, I did grow up in the Baptist church. I, did, I grew up in the Christian church. Um, throughout a good part of middle and high school, I was just kind of... Um, I guess, all over the place, mentally, emotionally, and all that stuff. I knew what I believed, but I didn't really know how that life application played. So I I guess I, like, to a point, I did um, live out the Christian faith, but at the same time, my actions didn't always match what I believed. Um, So I guess exploring the culture at large, like the American culture at large, um, and what that had to offer... I think a lot of my early writings did reflect that. Um, there's a good friend of mine from high school who uh, had pretty, actually, really graphic poetry, but it was, um, like, violently graphic poetry, but it was more so uh, symbolic, I guess. And and I would my first writings mimicked that because I just thought she was phenomenal, and all of her work would always get published in the literary magazines, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I need to write like her, um, but I realized throughout my writing processes that it's not so much 
like it's not that's not who I am um, and in college I really did start to discover my faith in a more real way uh, I met this girl named Lisa who was totally ridiculous she is from Philly and like really really loud and obnoxious and, <laughs> I mean you think Philly you know yeah. there yeah. you go that image yeah. um, South Philly or North Philly by oh gosh uh, Westchester okay um, but she she was just in your face and just so like we need to not be like this like the like the culture church and all this stuff we need to go and legit like be the church and go like hang out with homeless people go like Talk to the people that that like the Christian bubble doesn't want to go around because they there's that subculture where you stay with people like you, right? And that really changed things for me, and I think um, that influenced my life, which in turn did influence my writing. And and I think their more organic stuff came out of my writing because I had a better sense of who I am and who I want to be. Good deal. Right on. Good stuff we're getting here. Um, stick with us. We're going to take a small little break, and we'll be right back with more from Lauren Fletcher. Along with Mr. Xander Ragnar, I, don't, I never want. I want to give you like a cool, like just like a not even a catchphrase, but like a, a nickname. That's what I'm for. Like the Inter Zandman. Wow. Inter the Zandman. In my day, um, that's actually one of the first ones. Inter the Zandman. Of course, I was in a quote-unquote metal band with a bunch of Metallica fanatics. So yeah, that. Whenever I see you, I want to do the whole X symbol. Like, <laughs> stay away from me. <laughs> That's more like I'm in your like posse with an X, with the X Men. Also heard that before. Good, yeah. <laughs> and of course, we're here with Lauren Fletcher, hey. our artist, <laughs> our uh, author, um, interviewee, interviewee, interviewee. Interviewee. Yes, one who's being interviewed. <laughs> um, Only there's an accent. No, there's probably not. (laughs) All right, so um, yeah, during the discussion we just had, I uh, I had a couple things I wanted to ask you about um, before we get to the whole um, reading over some of your work and uh, talking about that. Um, One thing is 
beat poetry mm-hmm. and just the beat generation. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you who um, don't know exactly what the beat generation was or is, um, I think you would be a much better <laughs> candidate to speak about it because you took a lot of courses about it with, um, who was it, Matt Theato? Matt Theato, yeah. yes. He's fantastic. He's so, yeah. my professor. Actually, it's funny, I found out. During my Beat Generation class, that well, he wrote two books on the Beat Generation. One of them he compiled, like, a scrapbook of all of um, the Beats, like, four, four of the main guys, William Burroughs, Jack Kerouac. Um, uh, there's some from Gary Snyder, um, and there's some excerpts, Neil Cassidy, and all mm-hmm. these other people um, who are really important in the Beat Generation. He compiled, like, a little scrapbook of their stuff. Actually... New Carolyn Cassidy mm. has met Gary Snyder several times. Nice. Yeah, so man. it's it's crazy. The man I'm has like, connections. Come on. Like he drops it in class. Yeah, when I was talking to Gary Snyder and wait, then what? I, I know, wait a minute, did, did he say he knew Gary Snyder? Like let's just did One that time just Gary Snyder came over uh, for uh, tea and crumpets and he was um, chatting with my wife in Japanese. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, Dr. Theato. <laughs> so so let's give them a rundown of just okay. the beat generation, I guess. Um, basically, the beat generation um, was a time back, I, I believe it started in the 50s with Allen Ginsberg's first reading of Howl, mm-hmm. um, where it was just this huge, huge literary movement. Um, and a lot of it had to do with, obviously, Ginsberg um, and Jack Kerouac as well. Um, there's a lot of spontaneous prose writing. Um, gosh, basically... It was what it was. Their writing was unpretentious. It was just exactly like, this is my life, and yeah. I'm writing about it, and I'm changing the names, and yep. that's exactly what it was. Um, I mean, it was it was within like a lot of the rebellion of, um, gosh, I want to say it started a lot of the hippie movement. Oh yeah, definitely. I think yeah. So. Um, had an influence, uh, Bob Dylan and, mm-hmm. um, and actually Bob Dylan was, he, he actually did write some literature within the beat, um, movement called, there's, there's this one book here called Tarantula, which I read an excerpt of is really good. Um, just as good as his music. And he as well in turn had an influence on the Beatles Believe yeah, it or not, yeah, have you yeah. heard this story? Yeah. Um, but I get a little help from my friends. It's actually about a like a, a connection with Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in essence, you had the beats just kind of turning literary, um, I guess, creation mm-hmm. uh, in America from this whole like, this is how you write a novel, this is how you make successful. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to make you know. You had to have plot twists here, there, and develop characters across this. And they said, no, 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 no. I'm just going to write about my life. It's crazy enough. It's a book. Took the I mean, I think, it's, I think it's about America. A yeah. lot of it. I mean, Jack Kerouac, Take on the Road. I mean, I'm, mm. I mean who, who An doesn't? What look. young person doesn't want to go take a road trip across yeah. country with, his, yeah. with buddies? Yeah. Just go explore. And that was so much about what that book was. Yeah. Um, just kind of learning to live things like on his own terms yeah definitely picking cotton yeah with with a girl pal yeah. so and i mean 
you got me largely into um, Jack Kerouac. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely, like, I guess my question is, the Beat Generation, their writing as a whole, I'd say, is kind of risque. It's mm-hmm. not your typical, um, you know, novel you pick up at, you know, Barnes & Noble. You're going to see things and read things that are just going to be like, what? Especially if you've time? read uh, The Subterranean. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You're, you're going to read the same paragraph like four or five times and just be like... Did they say that? <laughs> yeah. Did, wait, was that right? <laughs> like, this is printed? <laughs> and and but, having been edited oh, yeah, to get yeah. to this point. Definitely. Um, so a lot of... Um, I wouldn't say straight up vulgar, but um, a lot of, uh, what's the right word? When you're it's an author. Raw. Yes, raw. raw. How does that play in with um, your writing? How has that influenced yours? Because um, I definitely see over the years when I've read some of your stuff, and I love reading your stuff because it's great. <laughs> so good to read. Something that's not... I mean, you can tell when you read your work, and we're going to we're gonna go over some of your stuff that you brought for us. Um, I can definitely feel like this is, this is written by Lauren. I know. And mm-hmm. you can tell it's not forced. It's not something that, you know, you had to... Well, at least in my eyes. It's not something that you were thinking, I've got to write a good poem, okay? I'll just make it like this. This is just something created and... I know you just put it out on paper. I mean, I know you go through editing, but um, I really feel like that or, that organic sense you were just talking about not too mm-hmm. long ago. So how does that, the beat generation, spontaneous prose, um, just, I guess, that group of writers, how did that influence your writing? It's actually funny because during that whole process of taking the class, we, we had several um, writing projects that we were given um, actually like a good list of them that we could choose what we really want to do with them. Um, There's something, there's this one thing called cut-ups, which was a project about cutting up um, different pieces of poems or songs or anything like that and uh, piecing it together just at random and seeing what comes of it. And and that was something that really just gave freedom to my writing because things just came out of it that I didn't anticipate. Um, and another thing, I, I wrote uh, just a straight spontaneous prose piece, which if you don't know what spontaneous prose is, it's it basically has to do with like a stream of conscious, like yeah. what's coming to mind you're writing down, um, regardless if it makes sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, actually, the whole point of stream of conscious is that it does make sense because of the way we think, mm-hmm. but it's not as articulate. At as first glance, there, yeah, it doesn't Right, like... as sitting there, like, having a, a freshly edited piece. Um, mm-hmm. It's just getting it all out there, and in a roundabout way, it does make sense. Yeah. Um, so just having that um, that piece, like, again, just exploring what's there in a topic, um, like, that That was definitely something that influenced but the the rawness of the beat generation, like the the just total inhibition in writing, is something that um, that I've really liked integrating into my own stuff. Um, there's actually a piece I wrote called "Woman," and it's kind of it, it's kind of raw. I mean, it's yeah. not like super super raw, but yeah. it's it's not raw. quite Kerouac, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little tamed raw. Yeah. And that was actually like 
kind of inspired by Diane DePrima, who is a beat writer. Um, actually, she was one of the main women beat writers and made a huge difference for women in that and just with the feminist movement and all of that with her writing during the beat generation. Um, it's largely, like, I guess subconsciously influenced by that and by her her very raw um, writing. She just defined what it was to be a woman, um, whether it sounded vulgar or not, and whether it made you kind of, like, be in a little bit of shock. Yeah. Like, it's it's what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, strength yeah. there. We were actually talking about that uh, earlier when we were reading um, the pieces you sent. Uh, Patrick, that was kind of like the first thing that sort of popped in my mind um, as far as the idea of feminism and the, uh, I guess, the strength of womanhood um, mm-hmm. that kind of came through with that. And as Patrick did mention earlier, it doesn't sound forced. It, it does come out very fluid. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's just, uh, you know, one writer to another, mm-hmm. just kind of understanding how, like, that mindset works. Um, but, uh, no, I, I definitely, uh, got that, uh, uh, that and, um, saxophone song. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you know, Patrick and I have slightly different views on, on the meaning and the interpretations of that. But, of course, with poetry, it's the beauty of it, you know, many different voices can tell the same story. So. It's sensual. It's got yeah. a little bit of... Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to give it all away yet because we still have um, a little bit of ways before we get to the readings. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, and this is something that's not just in writing. I think mm-hmm. it's a huge thing in anything artistic, um, anything of creation, um, whether it's writing a song, like doing music, uh, which I understand that you're just getting into, which is pretty awesome to hear. Well, yeah, and again, from from a small child writing songs, and yeah. just it's kind of like a dream of mine that I've just been had, like that I've had for a really long time. But more so, it's finding its purpose, and in, in yeah. that again, like in leading worship um, and being possibly a Christian artist, and still venues I'm trying to explore with that. Yeah, so. that'd be awesome. Well, like it's apparent in. I mean, I'm not an artist, but I can definitely see this in, you know, the art world, the music world, and definitely in the writing world, where when you're just beginning, and even years and years into it, we all strive to find our own voice, our Mm -hmm. own style. And um, we talked earlier about how you kind of found your own style, uh, or began to um, understand your own style and your own voice and your own words. But I definitely have to say that I... I find that the ones who are successful at what they do in those fields, almost all of them mimic in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to. You have to say, okay, I really like, you know, this writer or this poet or this um, musician. And without knowing it or not, um, you mimic it. You know, you you say, this is what sounds good, so when you go to write something – you want to make it sound good, so you obviously link it to that mm-hmm. who you look up to. Now, how do you um, balance that whole mimic to mimic mimicking versus personal voice? Um, saying, okay, I definitely want it to be in the realm of this person mm-hmm. and their work, but I also want to put my own spin on it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my I guess my question is. Where where did you find that um, 
the defining moment of, okay, I'm going to stop, you know, doing that. I'm going to completely do my own thing on this one. Right. I think it definitely happened with that transformation from high school to college. Once I started again, getting to know myself, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely wrote more, wrote more for myself, um, journals and small pieces and all of that. Um, with that, I just maturity, um, I definitely left behind, you know, like the childish, like writing, the, yeah. what I was alluding to before, the yeah. super cliches, um, yeah. the, uh, like, absolutely, this is a, a mimic of someone else's work, definitely mm. leaving that behind. Um, a lot of it did come through the classes and through the workshopping. Um, I mean, with that, it's just producing, 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 um, like tons of work. And I mean, and honestly through a lot of education as well. And especially in the English realm, just expanding my horizons of literature and everything, learning, um, from different literary movements, such as the beats, such as modernism, um, British literature, all that good stuff. And, just kind of seeing what's out there, but at the same time, remembering to write for myself, yeah. remembering um, what inspires me, what what really drives me to write. Yeah, awesome. Well, cool. We're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, hope you guys are enjoying this so far. I know I am. Um, so just stick with us and enjoy some jazz. And um, yeah, we'll be right back. To my favorite part of you know having you do a couple readings for us, right? So I think that'd be really cool. And uh, so, what are you going to start off with? Uh, I'm going to start off with the poem called "Woman" 
Right on. All right. Cool deal. I place my hands on my sides and slide them down. I feel the curves of my body and remember the paintings I've seen of women freed through artists' rendering. I remember the honesty of charcoal pastel smears, a colored spectrum tracing her body's gentle contour, highlighting every curve. I remember the dignity of watercolor, the brush strokes across the canvas with kind hues that saturate her limbs, telling her story through paint. I see the liberty of pencil sketches on a page, the lining and shading of a natural being, an organic beauty. I place my hands on my sides and slide them down. I feel the curves of my body and remember my own skin, the skin of a woman. Awesome. Very nice. Good, good poem. Um, you want to start this off, Xander? Sure. Um, now, you and I, Patrick, have had a chance to read this, and um, obviously we both love it. Um, and we were talking about it a little earlier, and very... Um, very scatteredly, I, I asked, um, essentially, what was your inspiration? I guess what mm-hmm. you saw um, before you put it on the paper. Um, because with with the imagery you, you portray here, it's very two-dimensional um, in the artistic uh, realm of the piece. Um, and having studied a little bit of feminism and mm-hmm. um, the ideas behind you know, strong womanhood... Um, you know, I have always had this uh, this image uh, of a very like three dimensional um, form, not necessarily you know the the curves and um, you know things like that, but just a very strong, tangible um, feeling. And it, the the imagery you do uh, portray in this, um, you know, you can see it. Uh, and, but I just was surprised to see that it didn't come out in the words either. Mm-hmm. It kind of stayed with the uh, the canvas and paper. So. What I wanted to ask was, when you were coming up with this piece, uh, what were the images that you saw um, that kind of inspired you to to have this flow the way it did? And was there anything, I guess, you may have omitted that you felt like either just didn't work or maybe you just couldn't get it out clear enough? Or was there um, was there something that you wanted to just stray away from because you wanted to avoid certain um misconceptions well i think again and like i had alluded to before there's definitely a nod to diane de prima and that strong femininity in there um and that rawness a huge inspiration in this piece actually was a friend of mine stephen calabrese's art uh and i went to an exhibit of his in college actually saw a couple of exhibits um and he had these really provocative paintings or, um, again, charcoal uh, pieces or sketches. And they were almost to the point where some of them actually couldn't be shown. Even if it was, even during his senior exhibit, they were not allowed to be out to the public because of how provocative they were. But the reason they were so provocative was because they showed a completely naked woman full frontal and and I mean it's art and I and it was something that struck me and as provocative and I guess taboo to have it hanging in the halls of a Baptist college um as as provocative as it was um I just saw they were so beautiful in the way 
that he depicted women was just just with such a gentle way. I, I didn't feel like it was at all. I mean, obviously, a man painting it, you're going to have that male gaze. Mm-hmm. But the way that it was painted really related to me as a woman and made me feel kind of proud to be a woman. And so, again, with the way the poem begins, I place my hands on my sides and slide them down. I feel the curves of my body and remember the paintings I've seen of women freed through artists rendering. I mean, that literally, that is how the poem originated it. It actually literally did happen. Um, It's just a random occurrence one day. Just, yeah. And so, and I was just like, it sounded like, I was like, man, you know, that actually, he's painting a real person. He's sketching a real person and just finding the strength in that, like, wow, we should be, like, I should be empowered. And so that's kind of where the background of this came from. I'm actually glad you you mentioned that because now it actually makes a lot more sense to me as far Mm -hmm. as um, the initial inspiration because you... um, because I guess with my initial interpretation, I was expecting, I guess, more um, of a three-dimensional perspective. Mm. But clearly, um, with this, you've taken uh, something two-dimensional that you've seen, and then what you felt through that was expressed three-dimensionally through you, mm-hmm. and then you put it down on paper. Right. And that and that actually um, makes a lot more sense now. Um, because at that point you really wouldn't need to um, to talk about like the statuesque um, nature of strength and womanhood mm-hmm. uh, and feminism, because you yourself have now embodied that. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes it certainly makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> All right, you got another one for us? Sure. This one's called Saxophone Song. Um, It's very verbally driven, I guess. Um, It's one of those ones. (laughs) I actually submitted it for a literary magazine, and it wasn't chosen because of, uh, I guess, how it reads on paper. But it's one of those ones that truly has to be read out loud. Um, to really grasp maybe, maybe they'll they'll hear this and say, "Man, we really should have gone with this." We, one. <laughs> yeah. I actually, we are really regretting our decision. <laughs> I actually read it um, at an open mic night, and my friend Nikki, again Nikki Ray Rice, up and coming writer, keep her in mind um, on the radar. She, yeah, she's great. Uh, she actually, like, aside, told me, "Hey, you know that that poem? We really needed to hear that out loud." Right so, on. I mean, there's. That's, again, with writing, um, especially poetry, there, it needs to be read. Um, so that's something that, in general, writers should keep in mind, especially young poets. So. Right on. Without further ado. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. This is called Saxophone Song. Eyes crossed, closed, squeezed shut, squinted lines created by lovers' eyes, and she sings... Lips pushed, pressed out against her sweet, sweet mouth, sweet, sweet, smooth talking that saxophone sings. Rings, resonates, rockets around the room, needs buckles when she gets that note. Oh, baby, you make me weak. Hands holding, hugging her, frame so smooth, she sings, rings, brings you into her presence, weak. 
can't breathe, caught in the red face, no space between you and she, dip and dive with every note, high and low you go, holding her, pursuing her, sophisticated lady, brass behind black lips, the song swells under her spell, you give her everything you've got, pursuing her, red face, lips pressed against her, sweet, sweet mouth, I'm trying, baby, she wails in her untamable way, snaps and claps and shouts ring out from every corner of this coffee shop scene. She wails, rails against the silence with her disarming voice. Boisterous noise, saxophone sing. I'd say now that you've read that, <laughs> yes. I fully, I fully um, want to say that is my favorite. <laughs> the best that you brought. Um, and for me, immediately, as soon as, soon as you started reading it, um, I saw music and I heard music. Um, definitely personifies the run of a kind of like a, a Coltrane um, saxophone. Um, Shrill. Like, it just, it dips and dives. The notes you're talking about, um, as far as your voice uh, with reading it, it's it's almost unpredictable the way that Coltrane was um, with his uh, solo work. I mean, um, you didn't know what was coming next. <laughs> and when you hear what's coming next you're just like yes that's i didn't know what i wanted before but now that you said that <laughs> yes i agree and um i love it i i think the the tone um the words you said your diction for it was just spot on i i really like the way that you kind of personify the saxophone as this this enchanting woman and kind of how the performer the saxophone player um, is kind of working with the saxophone, um, kind of like this is like a back and forth motion between the two of them, trying to get something, you know, this this performance, and um, I love it. I think it's really cool, and I can almost see. I remember you telling me when you went to see. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I don't. Where was this at? Was this at? A, this was at open mic night. Open mic night, yeah. <laughs> and I remember you telling me about it and. I I completely I mean I can almost see the guy up there. I can mm-hmm. see him I don't want to say struggling but like you can see him and you can red only face. see this yeah, yeah you can see him red face. You can see it's almost like seeing someone who's so good with their instrument and they really are I wouldn't say a part of it. A lot of people say, you know, how do you know if they're good? Oh, well it's like the instrument is a part of them. This is more of like them having a relationship with mm-hmm. their instrument and kind of at at ends trying to battle with it, trying to say, mm-hmm. okay, I want you to do this. No, you're not going to do this. Okay, well, then we'll turn around like that. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it. I think it's a really awesome piece. And, you know, I, I, I completely see what you're saying now about how it's one of those things that need to be read. Um, because when, when I first read this piece... Um, you know, there was a debate that Patrick and I had about um, what was really being personified, whether it was a woman or whether it was the saxophone, if it was the music or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that came from the fact that as you're reading it to yourself, you know, you, you read it at your tempo. Um, and when you when you do the, the live reading, you could see um, that it is very spontaneous. Um, yeah. It does, like, twist and turn yeah. on you. Um, 
and hearing it, it does remind me of my old, you know, jazz days. Yeah, it makes you me know, think being, of Bop. Like, it's just that up-tempo, yeah. like, the way you just, you kind of have to, like, keep up with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like you're trying to keep up with it perpetually. Like, have it, like I've, I've done a few, like, jazz solos before, and that's the exact same feeling you get. Mm-hmm. You know, when you really do, um, you know, feel and embrace the, the music, that, you know, you've got this creature in front of you. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much you can do, and the rest kind of, like, happens as it, as it happens. It's definitely, yeah. like, you can't have one without the other. Right. Yeah. The instrument doesn't exist alone, and the saxophonist or musician, you know, without yeah. the instrument, definitely. there's no sound. Exactly. So. I loved it. I think it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have time for one more? Yeah, let's do one more. What should you like me to read? <laughs> um, I'm actually kind of pulling for the man poem. The man, the man poem. If only for the title. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just going to start off and go ahead and let you in on the inspiration for this one. It was actually, I was reading, or well, more so listening to a lot of Bradley Hathaway. Um, he is a Christian um, poet, I guess you would say. Um, and he, again, with that musicality, um, he has that with his poetry. And I guess where we talked before about um just like nodding to other poets and about maybe almost mimicking them. Mm-hmm. This is a mimic of Bradley Hathaway. Nothing wrong with I'll that. I'll be honest. Nothing but, wrong with that. Um, and it's, it's very, it's, it's definitely got uh, this thing to it where it does, it does show itself on the page um, to definitely have some personality, but yeah, it looks it looks <laughs> awesome. I, I, it really jumps out of you as a visual poem. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you've laid it out, um, just having it in front of me, um, you, you uh, went to great lengths, I think, <laughs> to really capture um, it. Not only reading it, but seeing it on a paper, you know. And and again, I think that this is um, again with a visual poetry. I'm a very visual person, so having poetry having with that um, visual element to it really grabs my attention as a as a reader of poems, as a reader of anything really. So, uh, yeah, go for it. So the man poem. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his shoes off and keeps bouncing his leg as he sits. Legs crossed sideways, feet hanging off the arm of the chair, reading, reading with his glasses off and black hat, which has become a permanent accessory, on his head. The line from Bradley's poem, ringing, ringing. Carpenter arms, he says. Yes, this is him. And yeah, I know he's talking about Jesus, but this man is his reflection, his crown, his glory. This manly man with manly arms and manly feet that are so perfectly beautiful, that are so perfectly manly. This man, humble. I'm just a man, he says, nothing special. And one day, someday, when I marry, I want my husband to reflect God. Oh, how I want my husband to have manly, beautiful feet like these. Lord says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. Yes, yes. And without his glasses, this man, he reflects, reflects, is the picture of a beautiful God who loves me, who loves. 
That's good. <laughs> That's some kind of good. <laughs> uh, do you want first? Uh... Um, well, yeah. Actually, this is um, now. I don't know if this opinion is going to be shared by everybody, but honestly, like, but of the three that you've read, I know mm-hmm. um, we were talking about saxophone song being a very provocative uh, piece, but this actually has um, an air of uh, sensuality behind it. Um, that is, cause I know we were talking about like, you know, being very raw with, mm-hmm. um, your work, but what I like about this piece and what makes it provocative is that, um, it is to an extent very raw, but it's still almost covered. Like it, it's raw mm-hmm. behind a veil, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you do get and the way you read it and the way it's actually like, uh, printed on the page um it's it's very dynamic um and maybe that says something about me as far as like how why I see it that way but I don't know Patrick do you I mean do you you see what I'm saying as far as like um I uh, it's almost voyeuristic uh, I guess <laughs> and I, I don't mean that in a in a, uh, in a risque sort of way but um I really wish, like, I really wish I could project the image in my head right now. I um, think the most interesting part of this piece of work for me is the ending. Um, and when I say ending, I guess it's not really the ending. It's more of the second, the latter half of the poem. Um, really when it starts to um, break down to, um, let's see, what's what's the line that really jumped out with me? Um this manly man with manly arms and manly feet that are so perfectly beautiful, so perfectly manly, um, that part. Mm-hmm. And when it jumps into um, kind of going from that into what you're talking about, um, and one day, someday when I marry, how I want my husband to reflect God, oh, how I want my husband to be, or I'm sorry, to have manly, beautiful feet like these, Um just kind of seeing it's kind of like taking the poem um woman mm-hmm. and flip flopping it over right. to man. Yeah. Um and how you uh what's the word I'm looking for? I'm having the same like kind of speechlessness. <laughs> um it's just such a good account of, you know what's mainly. Yeah. yeah. Not your typical like <laughs> Brave heart. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nothing like brave. I'm wearing a kilt, like kind of thing. Um, Muscular, rippling. Yeah, none of that. You, and when you say the whole part of how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news, mm-hmm. um, the whole um, it's a different shade of masculinity. Mm-hmm. I think a more righteous, um, religious overtone of masculinity mm-hmm. um saying no 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 man masculinity is not measured um with how many crunches you can do or you know how many <laughs> cigars you smoke in a weekend it's more of it's what it the is. stature of that man and mm-hmm. you know who he is and um the deeds he does and how he kind of carries himself i think i see a lot of the the overall uh vision of this man um as the masculinity not so much the um 
aspects that make him manly, just him as a whole. Mm-hmm. You see the per- I guess the personality more shine through more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that seems to like I guess paint a, a clearer image of this man, this manly individual, more so than his actual appearance. And I, what you were saying about um, you know taking the, the ideas behind woman and flip flopping, and I guess mm-hmm. that was where the provocative. Um, yeah. aspect of the poem comes from because obviously woman was a is still somewhat a very provocative piece um, embracing womanhood here you have a secular view of masculinity um, that completely shies away from the visual constraints of beauty and focuses again more on the actions and the essence of that person's um, character right I think the cool thing about I mean, even being a female writer, and with this poem, um, and again, you did say, like, it's almost like flipping woman, there's definitely femininity versus masculinity there, Um, and I think just with this poem in general, it just, it's one of those things, it is what it is, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like, whether you like it or not, this guy's not going to have chick feet, you know, he's a man, he's going to have man man feet. He's got man feet. Celebrating that, even if it's something that's just like so abstract and seemingly ridiculous, yeah. like I mean, just being it's like, you know what? It's, it's a man, like it's a man poem, like and just yeah, and enjoying yeah. that. I mean, yeah. even as a woman, just Definitely. enjoying what what there is um, in masculinity. Definitely. So. Well, we've straight blown through the 45-minute <laughs> mark, so we're going to yep. take a break. <laughs> take a break now, and um, we'll be right back. Um, a little Q&A with Miss Lauren Fletcher, so don't go away, and we'll be right back. Thank you. 
question and answer portion that I like almost the best. I like hearing the readings a lot. Um, But this is where we get to pick your brain about your, uh, I guess, just anything. It's like a catch-all of writing. You know, pick your brain about, you know, what it means to you to be a writer. Um, Just anything to do with it, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, You want to start it off, Xander? Sure. (laughs) Um, and I say with hesitance, um, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with just a a brief statement. Um, I was telling Patrick too, and I, I, at this point, I don't even remember if I told you this or not, but, um, as a writer myself, um, I always feel a little weird, you know, talking with other, other writers, not, um, not out of fear of, I guess, uh, and this inability to connect. It's just that the process behind writing can change and vary between writers. And with me, um, I guess, uh, you know, my process really does come from just experiencing and just putting it down. Um, and I guess that is something shared, but it's the kind of experiences I think that really make me a little hesitant about talking about the writers because... You know, when I look at some of the, the things that I've done, um, that makes me sound horrible. Um, it just, uh, just my themes uh, vary dramatically from you know those in my I guess peer group. Um, so it, yeah, you can definitely hear, and if you can't already tell, um, questioning you on writing is uh, something I'm. Wasn't really expecting. Well, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still going to ask a question nonetheless. Okay. Um, so, uh, you talked about you know the transition between like the high school writing, mm-hmm. um, that drive to want to do better, um, the artistic influences and the the musical influences um, behind it. Um, I guess as you uh, as you finally get this idea in your head. Um, yeah as you get this idea in your head um and you're putting it down on paper how how do you you feel on that first draft i guess um because that's always that's for any writer that's the the biggest like hurdle to go 
to get over is that first draft and rereading it. Right. Um, well, basically with my writing process, I just kind of go for it. I'm what you would call a binge writer. Um, we, it's actually, um, pretty common in writers. You're either one or the other. You're either the very, um, very studied writer who has to purposefully, um, make themselves write a lot. I guess you call like the learned writer. They may not have a lot of natural talent. They might have some, but they just really have to work at it and work at it. And I'm one of those people who are just like, well, if it's not, I, I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to work at it, to be yeah. honest. Kind of off yeah. the cuff, like, um, let it flow. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, and I'm one of those people who just lets inspiration flow. Mm-hmm. So whenever that inspiration hits, I just go with it. I run with it until it's dry, until the well is dry, yeah. um, basically. Um, so that's... That's where the whole binge writing comes into effect. Yeah. I just I just purge it all out on paper. Um, yeah, I definitely see that whole. You can start to see the hues of beat generation, kind of spontaneous <laughs> prose right. in a sense, welling over into this. Um, kind of that when it hits you, it hits you. Right. Um, you could go like weeks without mm-hmm. anything, and then that one. I mean, it could be like going to see an open mic and there's a saxophone player and you're just like, I've got to write right now. Right. And something that I've learned as a writer is you really have to experience life in order to write. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And so if you're not experiencing, you really don't have anything to write about. Um, So with that first draft, you know, I'm going to be pretty happy with it. But if it's something that I want to continue and really work at, um, it's just, you know, like... It's it's just that substance, you know, it needs the structure then. Kind of what we alluded to or talked about before, I guess, with some of my high school writings, which needed <laughs> quite a bit of structure and quite a bit of um, tailoring. It's just like the basic first, all right, let's get this all out here. And then I have the pieces that I need to work with. And it may draw more out of me working with them, things that I didn't necessarily realize. But I, I have the general essence of what I want to say. Okay. So, and it's just about making it the most concise and direct so that it translates to the reader. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, actually, no, that, that response has helped me because now I've actually got a, <laughs> a decent, not fumbling question. Okay. Um, so he's going to cut you off. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, wait, hold on. Go right ahead. You're well, fine. Um, you showed us a, uh, you know, a fair, fair sampling of your poetry, mm-hmm. and you did mention you were working on a novel too. Um, right. But the way you describe um, just letting it flow out, you know, mm-hmm. kind of accepting the first draft for what it is because it is the experience, you know, uh, in physical form, you know, right. on paper or on the screen, what have you. Um, do you think that's one of the reasons why you, I guess, embrace poetry so much um, as far as a genre of writing? I mean, well, poetry is just. It is such a snippet, and I guess, like, with the binge writing or just that spontaneous creative process, it is easy just to have that snippet um, and just to create, like, a snapshot in time um, to just show, I guess, show the world or the readers or whomever what I was thinking in that particular point. It's easier to convey in snapshots. Uh, writing novels and, and longer works, essays, fiction. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of um, careful editing, mm-hmm. which is fine. 
it is, it's harder to produce like mass, um, mass amounts of works, which when he said, oh, this isn't going to be a buy out, out by Christmas, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this no, is going to no, be a no. couple of years yeah. probably. <laughs> so, um, that process is quite different and it, it involves more people, um, readers, people who will, uh, comment on it, mentors and all that good stuff. So, I mean, it is easier to get poems out on paper more quickly, I guess. Um, but actually I prefer, uh, nonfiction, which I guess might be kind of funny. Really? <laughs> since I'm here okay. for poetry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean poetry can't. So. Poetry can still be nonfiction. Yeah. Well, I mean like longer. Yeah. Type mm. things. Cool deal. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got some, some little mini questions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not so many, uh, big ones at first, but, um, this might be random, but what's your favorite word? Oh gosh! Your favorite know. word. Gosh, I remember at one point it was intrigue because I thought that was so. I remember intriguing. you had a, you had a, you had, didn't you have a screen name with that? <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. just push that aside. Okay. For now. <laughs> I was like, that is the coolest word ever because you can be super mysterious, and yeah. like, mm-hmm. and people like intrigue, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. It was my favorite word. I don't know that I have one. I do like whomever. I've used I used that a couple minutes ago. Whomever. Let's because I'm learning it. how to use the word whomever. I think more people need to learn how to use it. Because <laughs> it's a good word. I don't talk how I should a lot of times um, when I'm speaking. But I'm going to work on that and use whomever a lot more. There you go. Um, favorite writer all time? Donald Miller, without question. Donald Miller. Yes. Um, he, he Blue wrote, Like Jazz? Blue Lake Jazz was my first Donald Miller book that okay. I ever read. Um, he also written a really amazing theological-based uh, book. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name. I'm actually blanking at the moment. Um, but my favorite Donald Miller book is actually one that he wrote. Um, it was kind of like a road trip kind of book. And that's actually where my nonfiction uh, writing style came from, was from how he just wrote about his experiences um, on the road trip with his buddy and how throughout his life um, and experience of that, where God showed up, where Mm -hmm. it was just kind of, it wasn't something you'd expect. It wasn't super theological. It was just like God's in here, um, especially in the nature and in the beauty of everything that he saw, um, mountains and sunsets and all that good stuff. Um, and I just, I really took to that book. And, and there's this giant paragraph on the, in the beginning of it, like where the introduction is. And it's just so much, like it melts my heart every time I read it. And like, you know, everybody skips mm-hmm. the introduction. So, but that's my favorite part of the yeah. book. <laughs> so, but uh, Donald Miller. Awesome. He's amazing. <laughs> and I guess this one's more with uh, your creative process. Um, for people striving to make that transition to finding their own voice with right. their work, what are some helpful hints that you've discovered along the way as far as, you know, branching off into your true style of whatever it is, writing, music? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, definitely there's something to be said for exploring um, different genres, different influences, um, and all that good stuff. Um, 
I mean, with me, with my writing, again, like, I really, I enjoyed the beats writing. I enjoyed modernism. Mm -hmm. Um, Even some of my poems, I worked out with some, I I tried on form, (laughs) which form poems are extremely stressful, and I hated it and complained to my (laughs) professor every single day. (laughs) But um, just with that, trying out different things that you might not be used to, um, and seeing what works, what doesn't, what you want to take away from those specific influences, what you don't really like about it, what you want to leave behind. Um, and another thing, just keep working at it, continue to write, um, whether it be journaling, whether it be essays, whether it be poetry, anything like that, um, just continuing to write. And it doesn't have to be every day, but, you know, at your own pace, um, and that, and you'll definitely, you'll definitely start to cultivate your own voice through that. Awesome. Now you, um, you had mentioned, uh, earlier that if you, if you don't really experience life, then you, you can't really be so good of a writer. Right. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would love to really get their, their thoughts and emotions properly expressed on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure they've gone through a lot, but there might be like some sort of obstacle, like whether it be emotionally or mentally or even physically, that's stopping them from truly, you know, taking their experiences and putting it down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what sort of uh, what sort of advice would you be able to give as far as like overcoming those obstacles of not only experiencing but expressing the experience? I guess it's all about drive. Um, if whatever situation a person may be in. Um, it's, uh, if, if you really want to get that story out there, if you really feel like there's a message that needs to be said, then you've got to push ahead and to find a way around it. Um, I don't know about specific circumstances, but, but definitely there has to be, there's obviously a heart behind it. Um, so just pushing through and finding, finding a way to do it. Right on. And I just want to ask one more question before we we (laughs) part our ways. Um, What ultimately do you want to get out of going through um, just being a writer? What do you want out of, you know, putting your experiences, your words on paper and others reading? What do you want out of that? Um, Well, as far as my poems... Uh, they're, they're mostly for personal expression and again, for assignments, um, for class. (laughs) Ha ha ha. (laughs) Um, right. But with that, I mean, again, it's just snapshots. It's just, you know, sharing a little tidbit of my life. Um, and again, there is a huge faith part that is within that, um, definitely wanting to show others my experience with God um, and it may be different from their experience or if um, if they're really not sure about faith in general, just showing, you know, it's okay. He's not yeah. scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but, and especially with my novel, with that, I'm, I'm writing about my relationship with my dad um, and how God worked for me growing up without him. He died when I was younger and... Um, and that's a huge obstacle, especially for a 
child to try to work through and showing about how God intervened there and how he's actually provided a life far better than it would have been with my dad, believe it or not. Mm. Ooh, provocative. Interesting. <laughs> You'll have to read my novel. I um, will. I will, <laughs> definitely. But, um, but yeah, and it's so much about just sharing sharing about God um, and just totally for his glory. That's uh, that's my life mantra for, for his glory. So Right on. <laughs> awesome. Do we have a working title for the novel or is it still way I, too early to I, sell? It is. I've had some in my head, but they sounded really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, wait. I think I saw one of the titles actually when I was looking through Barnes & Noble. And I was like, oh, we can't We're name it that now. <laughs> so it's, yeah, no, definitely still a work in progress. So right now the untitled Lauren Fletcher project. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, well, I think we've had a very great experience getting to yeah. know your work and you as a writer and a person as a whole mm-hmm. and um even I, i've known you for five years yeah. and i'm still <laughs> learning things every day so that's great i think you are going to do amazing things with your words and with your works um so i'm just excited to see what <laughs> unfolds for for you in the coming years I'm especially to see yeah i don't know what's happening yeah. either <laughs> You know, I think we, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've got a title for this now as far as this whole thing goes. Um, because you, you mentioned, uh, you you know, snippets and snapshots. Honestly, I feel like this has been like a Polaroid into Lauren Fletcher as um, the writer, the poet. Um, this, is, this has been like a snapshot, really, because mm-hmm. uh, I do not know you that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have not known you for five years. Um <laughs> And uh, truth, truthfully, I want to know more. Honestly, this is um, this has been very fascinating, very intriguing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, honestly, like you know, Polaroid, a snapshot, and Lauren Fletcher. I like it. <laughs> cool deal. Well, I want to thank you so so much for coming over and just uh, going through this, and um, yeah, being a trooper. Yep. Uh, this is your first. <laughs> I just want to like put this out here. This was the first interview I got first it. Me and Sandra yeah. got the first interview with her. Finally, so finally. But something that. tells me like this won't be her last yeah. interview. Yeah, mm-hmm. something tell and take that whoever big company that interviews her later <laughs> on and gets a lot of. Money. I don't care. I interviewed her first, so whatever. First, on the first, yeah, <laughs> we got this. But um, I want to thank you so much for coming by um, and doing this and joining Lifecast, Xander, as always. You have been just awkward and brown, awkward, (laughs) brown, and full of glory and glory and glitter. That's right. That's how I usually describe you to strangers. Teddy bear fluff too. Yeah, trust me, the big old teddy bear. (laughs) So from one teddy bear to another, um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. And um, as always, you can write to us at Patrick D as in dog or dogma or. Disguise, or um, any other words really that start with D. Um, Hicks at gmail.com. That's Patrick D. Hicks at gmail.com. And uh, stay tuned because we're going to have a lot of more interviews, I think, coming up because this is a great thing I think we've got going yes, here. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, um, once again, thank you, Lauren. Yeah. Thank you. It's been and a thank, great you, thank you, Xander. Awesome. <laughs> And you guys have a wonderful evening, morning, or afternoon, whatever time it is that you're listening (laughs) to this. And, uh, yeah.
Stay classy and stay jazzy, because <laughs> this has been a jazz cast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye now. <laughs>